Welcome to the Starlight Pet Talk podcast, where we'll talk about and explore ways to help pet parents and future pet parents learn everything they need to know to have a happy and healthy relationship with their pet. So sit up and stay for Starlight Pet Talk, rescue, adoption, and pet parenting done right. Welcome to Starlight Pet Talk. I'm your host, Amy Castro, and today we're talking about one of my personal favorite subjects, and that is becoming a pet foster. Every organization is a little bit different, but with Starlight Outreach and Rescue, which is my organization, we cannot survive without fosters. We are a foster-based rescue, which basically means we don't have a building to house animals. We rely on volunteers to take wiggly puppies like this one. And I know people who are listening audio only, you can't see this puppy, but I will post pictures of her because she is a cute little button. But anyway, so we don't have a big fancy building to house animals and we need people like you to temporarily house some of our pets so that we can help more pets. And I will say about fosters before we kind of dig into the issue a little bit more about the pros and cons of being a foster is that from our standpoint or and from the benefit of pets, not only does it give an animal a nice place to live while it is waiting to find a forever home, but it really teaches animals how to live in a home, which is something that makes them much more adoptable. It also allows adopters to see pets in a home environment rather than a stainless steel cage, because I've even had people tell me before they don't want to go into a shelter because it makes them too sad. So there's a lot of benefits for the animals for being a foster, but I think there's also a lot of benefits to the people who foster. And so to explore, Gigi, nobody needs to hear you whining on on the podcast. We might have to give you a timeout in a minute. Um, So to explore this issue of fostering and what it's like to be a pet foster, I have invited my good friend and fellow professional speaker who I met through my favorite organization, the National Speakers Association. Nora Burns to be a special guest on the show today. Not only is Nora a professional speaker and an expert on leadership, but she is an experienced dog foster. And so rather than me just telling my experiences about fostering, I wanted Nora to be here to share her experiences. So thank you for joining me from beautiful Colorado, Nora. I am excited to be here and I always love talking about dog foster, even to people who don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I know you ever notice that like, I I found when I'm doing this podcast, and I'm talking to a, a, you know, a fellow dog person, the conversation is so easy. And then suddenly I realize we've been talking for an hour, and we're gonna have to do a lot of editing. But um, not everybody wants, I don't know why, but not everybody wants to hear. All right, you're gonna go down on the floor. Please try not to pee on my carpet. I think that's that's danger. But anyway, um, Yeah, people don't always want to hear about it, but this will be a great conversation because people who listen to the Starlight Pet Talk podcast love pets, so they'll be thrilled to hear what you've got to say. So what made you decide to foster for the first time? I'm curious as to what your story is. Yeah, my deep dive into fostering, I had fostered once or twice years and years ago on an emergency foster situation, but really committing to fostering actually happened because of COVID. Because I am a professional speaker, All of a sudden, every time I answered the phone, it was a cancellation for like two weeks. It's straight because everybody was canceling their events, not knowing how long this pandemic was going to go on. And I realized that I needed to do something. I needed to find my silver lining to this situation and I needed to find it fast for my own mental health. So I started thinking about what could I do that would serve my community, that would bring joy to others and to myself. And that I might not be able to normally do because of my travel schedule. 
And I realized that I could do longer term fostering as a result. So I went in and started in March of 2020, looking for and applying to different organizations to be fosters and researching them online. And then on March 21st of 2020, I received two little baby golden doodles into my house. And that was the beginning of of what became nine during the time of the COVID era. Nine dogs came in, uh, eight dogs went out. One is one is still here. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, well, that's a pretty that's a pretty good foster fail ratio. I could live with that if you were one of yeah. my fosters. <laughs> <laughs> and my other dog, the dog that is I've, a Labradoodle that has since passed, she essentially adopted the Golden Doodle. Like she bonded with her so quickly. And so thoroughly that it was not my intent to get a a puppy because my dog was 15 years old. And I kind of thought, okay, you missed the window of introducing a puppy to the house, but she chose her. Um, And the awesome thing is she also taught her how to dog, right? Like, so she has very much the same temperament and the same behavioral traits. Uh, She's just learned how to dog from her. So that's great. And, you know, so, so many, so many excellent points just in that, in that story. Number one, I love that you decided to foster first during COVID rather than run out and, you know, adopt a bunch of dogs, because we have obviously have had issues with people who have adopted dogs and had, maybe hadn't thought through the whole process of when they went back to work and how that was going to play out. And I think number two People, whether you're in the market for a dog or cat or whatever you're fostering or not, if you are in the market, great. It is a it is an awesome opportunity to, and I hate to say test drive, but to see what is it like <laughs> it to is. have a puppy in the house. What is it like to have this breed in my house? What is it like to have an animal in my house at all? Can I, you know, can I manage that with my lifestyle? And number two, if you're not in a position because you travel, and I know you've got a fantastic support system of friends. I wish I had friends like you do that will take my, all my pets when I go <laughs> travel. But uh, you know, if you don't have that support system, fostering in between travel not only helps the animals, it helps the rescue you're fostering with, and then you've got a companion for when you're home, and yeah. you know you've got somebody new every time. I, I always tell my kitten fosters. Everybody loves kittens, but they grow up so fast. But if you become a kitten foster, your kitten will never grow up. It'll just be <laughs> perpetual kittens 24-7, and it's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so, I wish I would have thought of it um, in college, right? Mm. When I had I had a, a dog-friendly rental. I know that that doesn't happen a lot of places. But I had a right. dog-friendly rental because um, I had this great yard. And I, looking back in hindsight, I thought, oh, man, I could have been fostering dogs through that. I had a perfect setup for it. Um, I wasn't in a position to take on, you know, the vet bills of a whole lot of dogs. So fostering would have been a way to have another heartbeat in my house without having to set aside five grand a year towards a pet, you know. Yeah, because they're they're super expensive, and I know we. Wow, yeah. you just gave me a fantastic idea. Let me write that down. Oh, college <laughs> students, because you know, a lot we struggle yeah. with college students. You know, they come to us not a ton, but they do come to us to adopt, and I'm always hesitant because their lives are so fluid and they don't know where they're going to be next semester, let alone next year, 15 years from now. And so it's always a little bit scary, especially when you've put your blood, sweat and tears into an animal that you might have bottle fed. It's like, Oh, I just, I just worry about them with college students. And I'm not saying they're irresponsible, but they just don't know what their life is going to bring in all instances. And they might not have a parent that's willing to take on their cast off pets. 
that's a great idea. I'm going to start contacting colleges yeah. about fostering. Well, and it is. There is, because um, it would have been a great opportunity. And again, especially if they're in a house where they can have pets, or if they can have negotiated with the landlord or landlady in order to get foster pets, right? Like I think there's mm-hmm. a different different thing and, the, and there might be some more compassion there from the per the the person who's doing the rental, um, but yeah, yeah that would have point. been. And I agree. Like my and I really I got my first dog. That's my own first dog dog while I was still in college, um, and I agree. I it was a lot. I had, but I she came, she lived for another fifteen and a half years. She was an abused oh, wow. uh, dog that I had taken in, but I had to make a lot of decisions as a young adult that took into consideration the dog and a lot of 20 somethings just are not in a position to do that or willing to do that. And my sister right. gave up two pet bunnies, right? She got two bunnies in college. And I was like, that is, that is, you did not consider the lifespan of a bunny. And um, yeah. yeah, had to go find another home for the bunnies. So yeah, I yes, think that's but a for foster, <laughs> for foster and for emergency foster, Right. Like yeah. we need because sometimes a foster and you might be getting to this, too. I apologize how I'm skipping ahead on you. No, no, no. If you're, when a foster, when a long term foster has something come up that they do need to leave, if they don't have a network of people that are trustworthy, that they can, in, in fact, have come to their house to watch all of those those animals for a day or two to have an emergency foster that can take in for one or two nights if a long term foster has a family emergency or something going on. That's huge. And it takes a huge, um, it, it gives them a heartbeat in their house for the weekend or for a couple nights. And, and uh, it helps. Out I'm going to steal that foster. line too. Can I use that for our advertising? Heartbeat in your house. <laughs> I am in a the house. I love big it. fan of having <laughs> another heartbeat in the house as a, as a single person. I, my other heartbeat is always uh, the, the four legged versions. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. That's probably the best roommate you can have, right? Right? You know, they do as puppies sometimes pee on some things, but you know. Yeah, yeah, it happens. There are some people you could have human two leggers yeah, that you could yeah, have in your house that could yeah. do worse than that, you know. College so, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point that I that I wanted to make um, in this podcast as well is that, and, and we're going to talk later on about investigating the rescue because you, you mentioned doing your research yeah. and that's super important. But, um, I think when sometimes when people think about fostering and and maybe in some people's experiences, because I've heard some horror, you know, horror, if you can call it a horror story, but, you know, somebody that said that maybe they committed to fostering for two weeks and then it turns out the animal has a medical issue, can't get transported to another state like they were going to do. And now I've got this animal for six months because nobody in the organization has space to take it back. And that's that can be a challenge. I mean, we, we don't do that at Starlight. We always make sure that there's a space available for something to come back if it needs to. And, and we try to negotiate. What are you willing, you know, if you can do a week and then we can find somebody else for a week. That's act- for some animals, that's actually good socialization to, to move around a little bit. It depends, it depends on the animal. Obviously, yeah, Gigi really would appreciate having constant attention. She's barking outside my door. <laughs> <laughs> Gigi's adorable. She's a little toot, four pounds of toot. <laughs> um, so before we get into the rewards, because obviously we want to, you know, focus on the positive, but I, I think it's also very important to, especially as an experienced foster, and I'll chime in as well, that there are challenges in fostering, even if you have the best organization backing you up. So yeah. in your experience, what were some of the things that you faced that made fostering a little bit hard for you? 
Um, well, the the biggest thing that made fostering hard for me is I had the unfortunate and rare circumstance where I had a puppy with parvo. So Ooh, it's really important as a foster that foster organizations educate fosters on some things about taking care of puppies that are new that you don't know yet if they have any health issues, right? Because often, depending upon where they're coming from, if they're coming from a shell, an overcrowded shelter, they're coming from the street, if they're coming from a puppy mill that has forfeited them, right? All of these different situations, they can have different health issues. And Mm -hmm. so thankfully, by the time I got the puppy with Parvo, I knew to limit the areas in my home that new puppies go into. Um, right. Cause if you have a foster, who's yeah. the first time foster and they've got puppies and they let them run in the yard and they run in the front yard and in the backyard and in all over the house. And then you find out two days in that they have parvo that parvo has now spread to all of those different areas and you're going to spend the next 20 years cleaning. So, yeah. well, maybe not 20 years, but definitely year yeah. because parvo can live on, um, on solid surfaces and organic surfaces for over a year. So, so it's really important to contain. So I'm thankful that by the time that happened, I was an experienced um, foster and I always had a puppy, like really my living room gets forfeited to the, to the fosters, right? Like, so I built this (laughs) extensive puppy palace, as I refer to it in the main living area. And I have tarps down on the floor um, so that the, the, there's a protective layer, should there be any illness and that kind of a thing. And then they're only allowed in the backyard, which is a very small contained area. I have a townhouse. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but the hardest part was I had a puppy with Parvo. So they came from a shelter actually in Amarillo and there were three puppies. It started with two. I committed to two puppies. (laughs) I saw the picture, the the foster organization I work with had posted a picture to our foster group and said, I'd like to bail these two out. Um, is anybody in a position to take them? And one of them, their ears just went sideways like Yoda. And I was like, I am taking them. <laughs> and that dog's name will be Yoda. Um, I remember those so, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they were great dogs. And they, um, and then a couple days later, the woman who runs this particular foster sent me a picture and said, turns out there's a sister. And it was a picture. Um, whoever had forfeited these dogs to the shelter came and forfeited a third dog and said they thought mm. they could get some money for her, but they couldn't. And, um, she was a sibling of the other two. And I was like, yes, of course, of course, we're bringing all three of them. Um, and the first, when they first arrived, everybody was playing, everybody was eating, everybody was doing really great. And then within the first 24 hours, I noticed Yoda, um, he had already decided on a favorite toy. There was this little pig toy and he had already chosen this favorite toy. And if one of the other puppies grabbed it, he would go and take it back from them. And then, Mm -hmm. and then he did it. They played with it right in front of him and he didn't move and he was just laying and his eyes had changed and I messaged and I'm like, this dog's in trouble. Like we've got to get this dog to a vet. Something's going on. And so we took him immediately to the vet who Parvo tested and said, he's positive for Parvo. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, I'd had that dog in my care for less than 24 hours and I was bawling as I handed him over to the vet tech. And being like, I think that's when we first started getting <clears throat> know, getting to know each other. Really, it was because yeah. I remember. I don't know if I reached out to you or if you reached out to me, but it was right when you were dealing with that parvo thing. And I thought, oh my gosh, this poor woman. You know, she. Was, <laughs> I mean, you were super excited about getting these puppies and posting all their pictures, and then it's like, oh my gosh. And, she, and, and I remember so thinking, sick. this poor lady is never going to do 
do this again after this puppy, yeah. but yeah. it didn't deter you though. It did not deter <laughs> me. And he was, but he was so sick and he spent two or three days in the hospital. And then it was so interesting because they're like, okay, when he comes home and I had all these questions about Parvo, because I didn't know I've always mm-hmm. had vaccinated dogs. I've never had to deal with an active Parvo infestation. I've never realized before then exactly how, how contagious it is. And yeah. so I was looking up all the guidelines to make sure I didn't spread it into my community. And then, <laughs> but they said, oh, well, you can keep them separated. And then he has to stay longer because Parvo takes 30 days to get fully out of the system. And I was like, I just don't have that big of a house, right? Like, like trying to keep these yeah. puppies separated. And I had built, I tried, I built like this big maze. I mean, it looked like the Hunger Games in my house. Um, and <laughs> The other two puppies um, who were at the time Yaddle and R2, we had a little theme with the Star Wars thing happening there. Um, <laughs> we had R2 and Yaddle and they, um, Yaddle would not be kept away from Yoda, would not, like she escaped from her area to break in. And I was like, this isn't going to work. They said, then just keep all three of them for more than 30 days. And I'm like, done. Right. Like okay. so much they, easier. <laughs> it was so much easier. And it happened at a time. It was still, it was still the, the 2021, right. Mm-hmm. I was, I was presenting and doing keynotes and training from my downstairs video space, not from conference rooms. It worked. It was over the holidays. So things were normally slow anyhow. So it totally worked, but it was heartbreaking to watch that really sick puppy. It was really hard to watch a little sick puppy, but he is thriving and we have done (laughs) get togethers. One of the things with my fosters is um, my fosters are always welcome to come back to my home. Right. So, and I've always said like, I, uh, I get dibs on pet sitting (laughs) and um, if any of them, none of the pets that I had adopted out have come back, but I said, if any of them were to ever come back, I, I think they would just be part of my pack. They wouldn't whatever, but Yoda is, hysterical. He's got the best home. He's so happy. He's got a sibling. He runs around the, the you know, and plays with, they send me videos regularly. So uh, he's thriving as is his two siblings, as are his two siblings. When we do our foster orientations, our volunteer orientations, I mean, we do talk about the potential for illness. I mean, we do the best that we can not to obviously take a, an animal that we know is ill and, or, or yeah. if it is ill, we tell you what it is, and especially yeah. for people that don't have pets, it's you know not as big of an issue. But um, you know, we don't intentionally put an ill animal, but you just never know when something's going to crop up. So anytime yeah. you bring an animal into your home that's uh, maybe too young for vaccinations, or it's a day late and a dollar short, or whatever it might be, yeah. there are risks that you take not only for your pets, um, whether they're vaccinated or not, although obviously, I mean, we make sure everybody around here gets vaccinated. You do take a risk, even when we've got animals, you know, for example, one of our scourges in the cat world and maybe less so in the dog world, although it does happen, is ringworm. And, uh, you know, ringworm can take 21 days to show up. So, you know, we can never guarantee that somebody's not going to be exposed, but like you did, which was smart, If you set up your home in the proper way and don't just come home and throw that kitten on the floor and let it free roam all over your house and rubbing all over your pets. I mean, you really and we tell people, you know, isolate them, keep them in a small space, things like that. So make sure you listen to your foster guidance because uh, that's just going to improve your chances of success. You know, the other thing is behavior. 
we don't know the behavior of some of these yeah. animals. I'm never would willing. And most of the time, what we'll do here at Starlight Outreach and Rescue is if it's something where it's questionable or it's, you know, like it's, let's say it's an adult dog, just for mm-hmm. argument's sake, we're going to keep it here for a little bit. I mean, I've done my animal behavior certification for shelter animals. We'll observe the behavior for a while first before we say, okay, you know, here's what you're getting. But again, it's always caution, not introducing them to your dogs immediately, not letting little kids come up and just grab them around the neck. I mean, it's some of it's common sense, but it is a a learning process. So, you you know, you do need to do your homework on animal behavior, which is another thing that we do is before anybody's allowed to volunteer with us. They go through an animal behavior training program that gets them familiar with with some of that behavior. So there de- there definitely are challenges. Anything else that you would share that somebody would you might say, okay, you might want to think about this, you know, when you foster because it's not all cuddling puppies and kittens. It's not all t- cuddling <laughs> puppies and kittens. There are runs to the vet. There are re- helping them recuperate from being spayed or neutered, which. Um, right. Cause we spare neuter before they go out into the world. Um, mm-hmm. and so you are doing some, you know, helping them through recuperation and all of that, but you know, there is a lot, there is juggling to like different foods and all of that. But the thing is, um, and the other, the other part, at least for me, one of the fosters said, Oh my God, uh, it posted on our Facebook or shared Facebook group. Like, Oh, this one was really hard. I bawled while I let this one go. I ball when I let them all go. Like a mm. dog that has been in my house that I've cared for and loved on and made sure was healthy and appropriately ready to go out into a home, I am I will cry every time. So I know the day <laughs> that I hand them off, even though I have interviewed the person who's going to adopt them, I have watched them interact with the dog. Every single dog that I had a role in placing is in the perfect home for them. It's this mastery when it all comes together and you have found the perfect home. So even though I know that, and even though I know that I'm going to see that dog again, because we're going to have play dates in the future and we're going to, you know, exchange information. <laughs> um, I, it's just hard. It's just hard. Even yeah. though it's going to make my, my home life easier when I hand them off. Right. And I now get to reclaim my living room for a bit until the next get a little bit of a break. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. but it is, it is always hard. And there's some that are harder than others. Like the ones that you're like, yeah. I am really tempted to ado- adopt this dog. But as a single woman, I feel like three dogs might be too many. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> I might become it's that better person. than being a crazy cat lady, <laughs> right? Crazy dog lady. Yeah. So, um, but I do think, I think that's just part of, um, the emotional response I have for animals, but I have, I've kept in touch with all of them. I know that they're all thriving and it's finding the right home is, is magic. Yeah. And that, and that, that's a good point. Cause that is a real challenge. And I know I hear it so much. I don't know how I would let them go. I don't know how I would let them go. And I, I think for me, maybe because I don't know how I, I stopped counting it like 2000 and something fosters. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I mean, we've got, we've got 300 or so that come through our house every year and then, you know, yeah, yeah they may go to a foster, but they always kind of start here. Yeah. And, um, the first, the first three kittens, which were named after the, uh, Alvin and the, ch- there was Alvin, Theodore and Simon. Ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, those were hard. Those were hard to let go uh, because we had them for a decent long while. And uh, uh, but as as time has gone on, it does get easier. And I think I just I don't 
um, I love on them, as you saw me with Gigi. I mean, and we and we'm actually maybe keeping Gigi, so we might be a foster fail on that. But and sometimes it's just telling. Like I used to tell my husband, I'm going to keep this one, and he'd be like, he learned not to say no, you're not, because he knew I did. I wasn't really going to keep him, but I like to feel like I had that <laughs> like possibility. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's sometimes it's tears and sometimes I, I tell people just don't think about it as my baby. I'll say just tell your kids you're watching this dog for Amy yep. for two weeks while she goes on vacation yeah. <laughs> or you're yeah. watching these kittens for two weeks for Amy while she goes on vacation. And so that they realize it's not theirs. It's somebody else's. Yeah. So there's lots oh, of different ways that you can kind of get past it. I, I think the bottom line is you just do need to get past it. By allowing our fear of a broken heart over giving up this puppy or cat, we are, in, in a sense, condemning some to either life on the streets or being euthanized in a shelter or whatever, you know, and so you've, you've got to kind of balance that out a little bit. But I do understand it's not for everybody, you know? Well, I and I have I have a high level of empathy and I am, you know, so yeah. so I also I understand that I'm going to respond very differently. <laughs> but I also think that would be like saying, I, I never want to fall in love because I don't want a broken heart, right? Like, why would I give up the high, right? Like, why would I yeah. give up the high? And especially when it is, it really is, it's a temporary, I know I'm going to be that day. And I know what I'm going to transition that day um, as they head off. But I know that the next day, I'll, I'll feel better that they're in their home and they're getting settled in and I'll see pictures of them with their new family and all of that. But I also think, um, to your point, I shift my thinking to I'm dog sitting, right? Like I'm taking mm-hmm. care of this dog for their next path. I am the 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 transportation along homes. And the moment that I find the right family for them, I will ask the family if they've come up with a new name for the for the dog. Um, mm-hmm. Some Yoda kept his name because it just <laughs> just it's so fit. Um, yeah. Yaddle <laughs> became Cindy Lou Who. Um, and so the moment, if they share a name with me, if they know a name, I will start referring to the dog by that name. Right. And I start mm-hmm. transitioning the dog's name. Um, and that a helps the dog, but it also helps me with the release to, mm-hmm. to, to pass the dog along. And it is, if you start thinking about it as dog sitting, you know, I'm watching this pet, um, I'm caring for somebody else's animal along the path. It definitely helps you kind of switch that. But mm. there's just so many highs that offset those lows that there, I yeah. wouldn't undo any of it for any of it. And like during COVID was, was such a great example. Like I would, and I think you participated in some of these, I'd have the puppies. I did this when my whiskey girl and, um, and her sister were here. They're the first two mm-hmm. puppies that came into the house. At lunch, I would set up my Zoom and I would, I would post to my personal Facebook page how to access the Zoom and I just put my camera, I just put my my computer so that the camera was facing the puppies. And I was like, have a lunch break with the puppies, right? And I'd oh, go have cute. my lunch while my friends and family watch the puppies play, right? So it, it <laughs> you can add joy to other people's lives. And then I had people who, um, as I say, fostered from afar. The foster that I ended up working with didn't have a lot of financial um, resource like most fosters. There were things that I wanted the puppies to have that they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to pay for. And I'm not working at the time. So what ended up happening is my friend said, what do the puppies need? And I started an mm. Amazon wish list and they would, I would do like, here's the reveal. We got a package today from Ava 
And let's open it up with the puppies would open it up to find a dog toy that they got. And then those toys went with them to their new homes, right? So that they had, they had a continuation there, but they were like, I, I can't foster. I'm in a condo that doesn't allow pets or I'm, you know, whatever. And I'd be like, they fostered from afar. They, they sent resources in to help support these puppies and they got attached to the puppies um, from afar. And so we still do some updates that way. So. That's great. That's great. So, so what would you say are the rewards? Like what have you gained um, other than cleaning up puppy pee and <laughs> playing with puppies? So like, how do you, how do you feel it's impacted you in your life being a foster? I absolutely think it was the key to my mental health during the pandemic. Um, yeah. I had responsibilities, right? I live by myself. My clients were, you know, postponing conferences and events, and it could have it could have gone dark really fast. And so it really <laughs> brought a lot of joy to my life and responsibility, right? Like you don't get to you don't get to sleep in when there are three puppies in your living room, right? Um, or if you do, it, it's you, to your own it's to it's your, your own, own detriment, right? Like you've made a <laughs> yeah. bad choice. You've just made a bad choice. Um, so and and you just I just find it very difficult to be. I find it very difficult to to not see the joy in life when you're holding a puppy and the puppy is just, you know, all over you and and yeah. um and just so excited to explore and learn new things and and the responsibility to help them with their development and help them grow is just really helpful to me. Um the other is the people that I met. So I mm. think fellow fosters, other people who foster, so like some of my best friends right now are friendships that I formed during COVID because of fostering. In the midst of the pandemic era, a lot of, you weren't meeting a lot of new people, except I was. I was meeting people not only because of my Buy Nothing community, whole another topic, but also because <laughs> of the foster community. And my friend Lois and her dog, I just watched uh, her dog for a couple weeks while they were in Mexico. And then she watched my dog while I was uh, traveling to a conference in Texas. And think of the money you save doing that too, people. If you need oh. an incentive to get to get to a foster network, <laughs> get a foster boarding network, boarding fees, pet sitters, holy right? moly, right? And we just swap. We just swap. Um, her dog and mine get along beautifully. They pair play. They're they're fantastic. And I met her because on the foster network, I early on I said I I don't have a pen. I don't have like a good setup to block them in my living room. And she couldn't foster at the time because her dog had just been sick. So she's like, I have one, come pick it up, right? And so we met then and then we've just stayed in touch. And here we are three years later and I will, we're having dinner in two weeks, right? Like, and she's just this amazing human being who my path would not have crossed with outside of mm. being part of this foster, this foster group. The same is true for Cindy Lou, who's human. So Cindy Lou, who, who was Yaddle, who was the hardest dog for me to find the right home for because she was, I had a very, I kind of rate up a profile of the dogs as I'm getting mm-hmm. to know them. Like I've had dogs that would do really well as only dogs. And I've had dogs that it's clear that they need a playmate and mm-hmm. um, dogs that clearly will do really well with kids and, and dogs that would really do well with adults. And um, active lifestyle versus not like I have the laziest dog on the planet. If somebody was a runner and wanted to go run with a dog, this would not have been a good fit, right? Like she doesn't, yeah. even, <laughs> she like lays down halfway through a walk. So, um, 
finding the right pair. And Cindy Lou had a very, I had a very specific profile in mind with um, Cindy Lou. And then I, I had interviewed like 10 people. This dog went on more blind dates than I've in the last year. And there was always just something not quite the right fit. And then I met Curiel. And Curiel and Cindy Lou, like I handed her to Curiel and watched how they interacted. And I was like, oh, for the love, this is, this is her human. We've been looking for you. Mm -hmm. They bonded immediately. Now, six months after, six months after they, I said, I will not see the dog that I fostered for at least six months because they bonded so closely to me. I, I would need them to bond with their, hum, their real human and not mm-hmm. think that they're coming back to me. I don't want to confuse the dog. And so it had been six or eight months and we got back together. And not only is she the perfect human for Cindy Lou, who um, she and I have become very close friends. And so, That's and our great. dogs are best friends because my dog and her and Yaddle at the time, Cindy Lou, who had bonded. And I was like, oh, it's going to be very hard for them to not see each other. They they have a better social life than I do. They, they're upstairs right now. The two of them are playing right now upstairs in my house. I know um, you, see- you do more, more dog play dates than anybody I know. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's all, and all the fosters are welcome to come and have a play date anytime I'm home, like just drop them off. I'll, I will gladly watch them for the day because That's great. They, and they know my house. So I think it's not only the joy that the animal brings you during the time. I think it's a great development of your emotional intelligence, both empathy and um, social responsibility. You learn a ton. And I think not only the dogs that you meet and the cats in your case for cat fostering, but also mm-hmm. the humans you meet. I met another woman who runs another nonprofit that helps provide funding for people who can't afford the surgeries that their dogs need or their cats need. Um, One of the fosters needed some extra, extra care and extra testing. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if we can afford it as a rescue right now. And she's like, submit a thing. I'll take care of it. I'm on it. And so just meeting all the people who have a love for animals. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of unique people doing, you know, very specific things that it's interesting. I wanted to say one thing about your social responsibility mm-hmm. comment, because I think that's so important. We live and die on donors. Don't get me wrong. I love anybody. If you, if you want to give me $5, I love you. If you want to give me 5,000, I love you, you know, and, yeah. and anything in between, because every literally, I mean, you can't say it enough that every penny does count and everybody yeah. penny adds up. At the same time, uh, like, for example, I was on the phone with a lady today that was looking for a place for cats that had wandered up to her house. She literally had eight cats. She already had taken in seven. They were not her cats. Okay. She took in seven. She got them all vetted at like 300 a pop, you know, and, and she's living in a mobile home. Now the eighth cat has wandered up and she was looking for help for that cat. And she made a comment that that just kind of ties into the point that I want to make is that she said that she had contacted a rescue group and she said, I'm willing to make a $200 donation if you can take this cat. And it just it just hit me just now when you made that comment is that the donations, as critical as they are, I can't house an animal with a $200 check. Yeah. I still need that human person. So the people that say, well, I'll just write a check. And, and that's, that's great. Do that yeah. if you've got yeah. to do that. But also consider the possibility of being even, again, even a short-term foster, like you said, an emergency yeah. weekend foster, a vacation foster, whatever you want to call it, 
just get in touch with your local group and do whatever their training is, get yourself on the books and you can control, you know, that's, that's a, a point that I, uh, in a kind of transitioning into this question of, you know, how do you identify the right groups to foster with? You know, as you're investigating groups yeah. to work with, talk to them about your your limited availability yeah. or what if something ha- comes up and I have to travel for work suddenly? Do you guarantee me that I can turn this animal back in within 24 hours if I need to? And if they can't, it might not be a right fit yeah. for you. I'm not saying it's wrong yeah. because not everybody's in the position to do that, but yeah. you need to know what you're getting into up front for sure. So when you were looking for rescues to work with, how did you identify the right group for you? Because it's not going to be the same for everybody. It's not going to be the same for everybody. And, um, and there were several groups that I looked at and applied to and then wanted to talk to. And, and the one that I selected was the one that I thought did the best job of vetting me. So mm. they, uh, at the time, they were still doing home visits, then we changed it to doing zoom home visits. But they came to my house, they walked, they watched me with my pet, they checked everything in my house to make sure that I wasn't like cage fighting pugs or something, right? Like, (laughs) right, they made sure that my home did not show any signs of animals that had not been cared for, right? They made sure that when I told them I had secured backyard that I did, right? All of the things they they came through and did. Now, ultimately, they had to, during COVID, change those to Zoom because I did some of those for them. Um, But they checked my references. They checked, they called my vet to make sure that what I told them about the care of my animals was true. So for me, it was important that the organization was selecting solid fosters. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I do a lot of work on hiring and designing hiring processes. So when somebody, <laughs> so when somebody <laughs> I think it's really an important step. And so for me, that told a story about how thorough they would be with their, with the care of their animals. So that yeah. was a, a key consideration. Um, it was also the timing for me, because for me, I needed an organization that was willing to talk to me more quickly because I was like, oh my gosh, I need my silver lining and I need to find it like fast. Um, Mm -hmm. And even though they didn't do the home check for like a week after, they let me know what the process was. And they were in touch with me, just like with a hiring process. I need to know where I am and that you haven't forgotten about me. So that for me, I also like the fact that they had a foster Facebook group so I could ask questions of other fosters. And then now they've added, they do new foster orientations via Zoom, which I really like. There's others that I had talked to that I was, I felt a little like they were just going to throw an animal at me (laughs) and that Mm -hmm. didn't feel as good. So yeah, I think there's some things to check out. I think there's some valid questions about like now I have to be really specific. And the the one that I've been fostering through is not a long-term solution for me because they don't have an Mm -hmm. emergency backup. Um, So I actually need to change fostering organizations because now that I'm back to working, like last week, I booked uh, something for March 15th, right? Like I had no idea that was coming up. And now I'm going to be out of town for two days. And that's a really short-term thing for somebody in my business. But I can't afford to say no to that financially because I'm caring, I'm yeah. caring for an animal. And I always have a, I have always have multiple backups for my pets. So I just need to make sure that somebody that the rescue has approved to watch that dog um, on, on short right. notice. 
and the rescue I've been working with does. I mean, like, <laughs> one friend I know from the rescue took in a cat and they didn't have a plan for what happens if the cat doesn't get adopted. And now she just has another cat. <laughs> oh, gosh. And she's yeah. like, um, mama just stayed. She just stayed mama cat. So yeah. Um, wanting to make sure that you have the exit strategy or for whatever reason, the dog or cat doesn't get along in your household. I do think it is critically important for dogs and cats that are being adopted to have had time in a home because you just learn so much about the behaviors in a home that you would never have learned in a shelter about how they interact, what some behavioral things are to work with, um, yeah, I just think it's critically important. And even if people can can do it, you know, they're like, oh, I, I, I'm a teacher and I'm my ca- calendar is crazy for, you know, nine months out of the year. Well, there's if you can get some summer months in there and, and take care of an animal for even a week or two along the way, it is mm-hmm. just it saves a it saves an animal's life and and it's gonna change yours for the better. So Yeah, definitely. Excellent points that you made there. So you want an organization, obviously, that's going to communicate effectively, that's going to do its due diligence, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because like for us, we don't go and do a home visit for a regular volunteer. And I don't even I don't particularly like to call it a home visit because personally, and this is just Amy Castro. I bristle if somebody wants to like, really, you think I'm not, you know, like I, 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 that's just my own, my own mental block to that. But I do, if I'm going to put a foster in a home, if it's not somebody that I've has fostered before, um, after they've gone through the vetting process on, on paper and, and through a conversation, I will deliver the animal, especially if it's a dog, you know, to make sure because people's concept of a secure fence and my concept of a secure (laughs) fence, um, only because my chihuahua goes out with a collar on with, um, it's probably about a foot long dowel attached to it because even though I think my fence is secure somehow she's got a spot somewhere and granted we're on seven acres so don't hold hold it against me but the two acred area that's fence she's got somewhere she's getting out because I found her in my neighbor's yard and so now she goes out with a dowel on the top of her collar she looks like a little uh, cross running out there with a little thing Um, she's just so tiny yeah, she's just so we tiny. Had, we yeah, heard I, know, I, I could I get shamed anything. her. That's yeah, I shamed her with <laughs> with one of those too. Um, awesome. So yeah, so communication and then proper proper vetting and making sure it's not even necessarily about you as a person. It's making sure that I'm setting you up for success, and that's the way I yeah. I look at it. Um, yeah. And then I think for me, one of the things that I think we do well with Starlight, we may not you know the communication gets tricky, so we do rely sometimes on fosters. Like if you need something let me know. But we provide everything. In that situation, you need a pen, you let me know. If I don't have it at my house and can't drop it off today, I'll have Amazon drop it there the next day because we do get such great financial support. And whether you expect that or you don't, I mean, some of my fosters and volunteers, you know, they they don't want the the rescue to pay for anything. And that's great. But at the same time, 
I know when I first started fostering for my local shelter and they didn't pay for anything, I I realized that first year, I think I'd spent like $3,500 on stray animals and it's, that's a lot of money, you know? So if you've got a rescue that can at minimum, number one, a rescue that can provide that or that they're a 501c3 and you can write those expenses off. I mean, that's something at least to, to consider. I think also doing some background on the organization, like are they a legitimate nonprofit organization? Where do their funds go? You know, there are, and of course, none of them are coming to me off the top of my head, um, but there are organizations out there that rate, and I'll put it in the show notes, that rate nonprofits and, you know, nonprofits are required to reveal where their money goes. Some are nonprofit and all volunteer and 100% of money goes to animals. Some are nonprofit and people take a, a salary. I don't care one way or the other as long as it as long as you you know where your money is going as a donor and you know yeah. where your support is coming from as a volunteer. So you know it's just what kind of organization do you want to be affiliated with? I think is uh, another big part of it. And I think honesty is the other big one, and which ties back to the issue of communication. But I, I believe in being really honest about an animal's behavior with with adopters, but you know, also with fosters too. If something's not using the litter box, you need to let them know. You know, it's not it's not fair to pawn that off on somebody else. And I've seen that happen where somebody gets something home and it's, you know, there's a, a, a significant behavior issue that was not revealed but was known, or a dangerous issue that was not revealed and was known. And that's yeah. a good way to run fosters away for sure. So do that's your a, yeah. due diligence. And picking your organizations you want to be affiliated with, for sure. Yeah, I agree. And it is important on any nonprofit giving to do that due diligence and find out where the funds are, how many of, how much of the funds are actually going to the cause itself versus to administrative kind of ex- expenses. Um, and I do think to that end, I also think, on the other hand, it's important to be really communicative with potential adopters when you are a foster. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, Cindy Lou had a, Cindy Lou is adorable and had a lot of interest. Um, and I would share with people why I thought she wasn't the right fit for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and try to coach. I think a lot of times we get hung up in the adorable face or in a particular breed. You know, I've had people, uh, I have doodles, the rescue doodles, but um, doodle is a whole, there's a whole subculture of people <laughs> who are crazy about doodles. And who are surprised that I have a rescue doodles, right? Instead of um, like four thousand dollar dollars. This is just oh, they're more, more but, than that, um, friend. You haven't looked at the prices in a while. <laughs> I haven't looked at the prices for a while. But people who are then like, oh, they've got this story in their head about what this breed is like, and mm-hmm. it's genetics. There's so many genetics involved, and a doodle is a is a mutt. I I love my doodles. I love them, love them, love them. But they are a purposeful mutt. And they're going to get some from this line and some from that line. And you don't know that they're not going to shed and you don't know that they're right. Like my, mine have both shed. Um, Yeah. Or that they're hypoallergenic or all the other myths. Well, the myth, it's interesting before this podcast airs (laughs) and I won't, I don't know how many weeks back, but do you know Sandy Weaver? Who's another yes, NSA I love speaker? Sandy <laughs> so I had Sandy on yeah. the podcast, and she's amazing. You know, she's uh, if you she's haven't amazing. listened to that podcast episode, folks, you need to go back and listen to that because we talk about 
purebred dogs. We talk about the doodle craze. We talk about the genetics oh. and how that, cause she's a, yeah. a, you know, she's a show judge. She's a, yeah. she's been a breeder. She's, yeah. you know, so she knows it all. And so Very we, well we, we got into a lot of that and you're, you're echoing some of the key points that we made there. And that, cause it's so important. You're not necessarily getting the best of both worlds. And so, yeah, you do. And you're right. I think there's a misconception, um, especially because, and this is another thing that's come up a couple of times in the podcast is that as rescue groups, we, you know, we could go out there and we could probably label, although some of the software systems that we use to advertise pets makes it tricky. Um, you know, we could label something as uh, an American shelter dog, I mean, or a, a domestic <laughs> mixed do- mixed cat or whatever it is. I mean, you could leave a generic, but yeah. the problem is, is that people don't search for American mixed dog. They search yeah. for golden retriever. They search for golden doodle, labradoodle, poodle woodle, whatever it is. And that's <laughs> what's going to come up. That's what's going to show up on their up yeah. on their their search list. And so you're incentivized to try to guesstimate what you think it might be. Although you know, I always make it super clear to everybody: we have no way yeah. of knowing. You know, we have we have DNA tested, like you said with City yeah. Lou. We ha- that's super expensive. Yeah, but to that's do like a hundred dollar minimum. Animal. Yeah, Cindy Lou and her two brothers, I swear, if you look at the three of them as puppies, you're like, this has got, I mean, and I didn't know until fostering that females, female dogs can give birth to a litter of puppies from two fathers. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a really good chance that Cindy Lou has a different father than her two siblings. So I believe it. Yeah. Um, when we look at the three of them together, you're like, there's so much corgi that shows up. They look like corgis as puppies. Corgis and terriers is what they look like, which is what we yep. shared. We're like, we're guessing, we're guessing that they're corgi terrier mixes. We have no way of knowing. We don't, we haven't seen that, whatever. So when mm-hmm. Cindy Lou after, and we told them that, right? And Cindy Lou's human has had corgis and terriers before. So I thought, great, you know, both of these breeds, right? Whatever is going to show up. And then we run yeah. uh, Cindy Lou's, after she was adopted, we ran the test and it was like 38% Chihuahua. So now we just refer to her as the Chihuahua in charge. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally <laughs> see it now, now that I see it. And there's no Corgi in there. There's some Terrier in there, but no Corgi in there at all. The point that you were making was that people will come looking for a particular thing yeah. and, you know, because they have this image in their head of what this animal might be or what this yeah. breed might be to them, or it's, you know, it's the animal's appearance or whatever it might be. And, you know, it may or may not be true. And so the fosters are probably the best people that really know whether this animal is going to be a best fit. Yeah. You know, I will say for our organization, obviously, if I've got somebody fostering in their home and they are willing to have because it's basically a stranger coming to your house, you know, and so some people are not comfortable with that. So we have the luxury of having the rescue ranch. So a foster can always bring their animal back here to do meet and greets. Um, and we will have our dog building cross fingers if I can come up with the money fundraiser. <laughs> um, actually, we're starting to come heck or high water, but um, it's yeah. starting in about two weeks. But um, we have got a couple of neutral locations or safer yeah. locations than having strangers come to the person's house. The other thing is I also will, as much as we take into consideration the foster's um, input, 
at the same time, we always tell fosters that in the end, it's going to be the decision of the organization who the animal goes with. And, you know, if it's a no, I don't like to necessarily put my fosters in the position of being the ones to have to say that. So I will be the bad guy and let them know, you know, that it's not a fit or, you know, the animal found a better fit. I mean, we try to be as nice as possible, but we want the animal to stay put. And if it's not going to be a good fit, and, and, you know, we're human beings. Maybe we're wrong. You know, maybe we've completely misjudged the situation and it's and it would have worked out fine. But we have to make the best decision that we can make with the information that we have at hand at that moment in time. And that's and that's the yeah. best that we can do. So that's another thing to take into consideration when you're thinking about fostering is how involved will you be able to be in the selection, screening, decision making of where that animal goes? Because I've had some fosters in the past that have been fantastic fosters but their level of what is good, you know, what is a good enough, like there's nobody that would be good enough, including themselves. And so, you know, I mean, at some point you yeah. also have to give people some grace. Not everybody's going to be perfect. You want somebody that's going to be good, safe, loving. Um, there isn't anybody that's perfect out there. I mean, it might be perfect for that pet, but yeah. you have to have some flexibility, I think, to a certain degree as well. Otherwise, otherwise you'll never adopt anything out. So, what would you tell somebody? So this is our final, we're, our final plea for fosters. Yeah. What would you tell somebody who has listened to what we've said so far and, you know, God love them. If they're on board, call us, we'll get you hooked up. You know what? If, if you can't, if you can't find an organization in your area, contact me yeah. and I will gladly, you know, do some research, reach out to my network and, and help you at least hone in on a couple of organizations to look at. Of course, we'd love people in the Houston area to foster for us at Starlight Outreach and Rescue. So please, please, please. Um, but if somebody was on the fence after hearing all of this and it's like, well, I'm still not sure, what could you do to shove them over to the good side <laughs> with the rest of us, Nora? Well, I do think people <laughs> in the Houston area are very lucky because you are in that area for them to sign up as fosters. Um, and if I were in the Houston area, I would be signed up with Starlight to foster because I do think you give an incredible amount of support, much more than a lot of rescues do for people who are fostering in terms of not only offsetting the financial cost by providing some pens and, and those types of things, but also by having a backup system available. So for me, I think yeah, thank looking you. for an opportunity where I, I really think it's having another heartbeat in your house. If you don't currently have an animal in your home, and you're considering adopting I think it's a really good way to, to, to see if your home is ready, right? And if you are ready mm. for, for a dog or a cat, right? And you see the responsibility. Yeah. And there is a lot of responsibility when you're caring for another heartbeat. Um, so I do think that that's a great option. I do think that if you've got anywhere near a little bit of space, right? I don't have a huge house, but I've had as many as three fosters in here plus my dogs. And at one point, there were two of my dogs and three fosters. Um, but they're puppies. And you don't have to have a huge yard yeah, either. No. That's another thing that people, yeah. I mean, most fosters are not, you know, they're, it's a temporary situation. Yeah. They don't need seven acres to run they on. They don't need for, seven for acres. I've got them. a very small space. Um, but what I do have is a lot of love to give. So I think if you have the capacity for love, which hopefully is everybody who's listening to this, you have the capacity for love. And to care, it really is a matter of saving the life of an animal. Um, we have had, yeah. within the organization that I volunteer with, it is heartbreaking when we have to turn down 
tagging an animal to come out, meaning we're going to tell the shelter we're committing to taking that animal because we don't have enough fosters for that particular month. It is heartbreaking um, when if, and, and we've had animals, I just look at my own animal, my pet um, could not have survived if not hadn't gotten out. And I just think what a waste of an amazing amazing heartbeat that would have been. And she's a volunteer. We visit hospitals and nursing homes. She's a a blood drive volunteer for other animals, right? Like she has helped the lives of others and it wouldn't have, and she couldn't do that if I hadn't helped her life along. And so all we need is to give those animals a chance, um, be it for even two weeks, right? Or for a couple months and, and signing up to foster and, and to get that experience. And if you have kids, what a great example this is of social involvement and community support. This is for your kids and developing those. And seeing if your kids are ready for the responsibility yeah, of a pet. Because right? oh. I hear that a lot. It's like, we want our kids to grow up with a pet. We want our oh, kids to be yeah. responsible. And I'm thinking, yeah, good luck with that. Well, you'll find you'll out find if you out. foster. You'll find if out if you foster who's really dog. ready. Who's really ready. But I just yeah. think it's such a great example yeah. that you're setting while your kids are developing those those values. Uh, at those early ages. So I am a huge advocate for fostering. And um, I hope that, that if, especially if you're in the Houston area, that you'll reach out to Amy and see what you can do about setting up to foster. It's, it is life changing and all for the better. Yeah, most, most definitely. The point that you made about, you know, going to the shelter, it reminded me of my most recent visit to the shelter in our county, which I won't necessarily name it. Um, and they do the best that they can, uh, you know, because they're a tiny shelter with a population of like 300,000 human beings. As a, as a rescue president, to walk down those aisles mm. and literally be making life and death decisions of I can, I have room for this in my house because yeah. we don't have a lot of dog fosters, yeah. sadly. Yeah. I have room for this and I think I can get my vet to hold on to this one and yeah. buy everybody else. I mean, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I've hardened myself to it, but it's like, and you just don't know the potential of all those little heartbeats, like you said, that you've left behind yeah. that are sadly not going to be beating um, the next yeah. day because you weren't able to get them yeah. out of there. I want to thank you so much for being here today, Nora. Um, I could just, we could make this a two hour podcast. I know. Episode. We could just keep talking <laughs> about we animals. <laughs> we could just keep talking and talking and yeah. talking, but I really appreciate you again, because I didn't want to be the preaching to the choir person, just coming from a different perspective all the way out in Colorado to talk about your experiences. I think you've given people a lot to think about. And I love your heartbeat in the home analogy because, yeah, you're going to benefit just as much as the animals will benefit for sure. So thank you so much for being here and sharing that message for us. Glad to. For those of you who are listening, thank you again for listening to another episode of Starlight Pet Talk. If you don't do anything else this week, and I know I always say if you don't do anything else this week, hug your pets. And definitely do that. But if you don't do anything else other than that this week, at least consider. Make that phone call. Send that email to your local shelter, your local rescue group, and just investigate the possibility of being a foster. And like Nora said, if you're in the Houston area, we would love to have you at Starlight Outreach and Rescue. We'll put our contact information in the show notes. And thank you all so much for being here. And we will see and hear from you next week. Take care. 
You've been listening to the Starlight Pet Talk podcast. We're glad you joined us to gain new insight on the many loving ways to adopt and care for your pets. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want more information, go to starlightpettalk.com because your pet can't talk. Be sure to join us next time for Starlight Pet Talk.